Welcome. Thanks for joining us today. If this is your first time, we want to give a special welcome to you and say thanks for checking us out. Certainly hope it's not your last time. And if this is your spiritual home, we say welcome to you also, and I'm grateful that you found some time to be with us today. This Wednesday, we begin the, the season of Lent with Ash Wednesday, that we will be hosting a in-person worship experience here with the imposition of ashes, and so that'll be at 6 p.m. And then would remind you that on Tuesday, we begin the March of Prayer here in our community. And each night throughout the Mansfield area, there's going to be churches that will be hosting a worship experience of, of one sort or another. Uh, it'll be grounded in their unique traditions, but it's been a powerful expression of uh, kingdom and, and of unity here in our community. And, and so we will be hosting on March 29th. We begin on March 1st, and you'll see there's a link here in the worship notes if you'd like to download the calendar and to follow along. And so I hope you can take part of one or all uh, or any in between. We will be streaming the event uh, each night. That's the plan. Uh, Mark Pierce from Church Week Will is taking on that responsibility. And so you can watch it live on the Godsfield Facebook page. Just simply go to facebook.com forward slash Godsfield Mansfield. It should be available there. Uh, it'll also be archived there so you can watch if you can't attend it while it's uh, in real time. But for all these things, as we, we lean into this week, we know it's been an incredible uh, week in, in terms of what's happened in, in the world. And we finished up a series a, a couple weeks ago on the book of Revelation. I've had a number of people ask me, uh, because we talked about the end times, if, if this is something out of the book of Revelation. Well, I'm, I'm not quite sure that we can say that. I will say this much, that everything that uh, happens brings us closer to the, the ultimate return of Jesus Christ. And even if this was to turn into a, a, a world war, which I certainly hope it won't, we pray that God would not allow that to happen, I don't know that it really holds any special significance other than it just reminds us that we're in need of a Savior. Uh, even my friend Mark Zimmerman mentioned he was uh, driving to the work uh, on Thursday and how the BBC said that the world had changed uh, that day. Well, like Mark said, and I agree with him, the world hasn't changed much. The thing that we've seen, right, as we looked at the book of Revelation or as we've journeyed together over these many months, to be reminded that we've always been in need of a Savior and that the, the brokenness that's in our world, whether it plays out uh, on the battlefront or whether it plays out in the brokenness in our lives, just reminds us of the groaning that's there. And so this morning, uh, we want to pray. We want to pray for the people in the Ukraine. We want to pray for its people. We want to pray for protection for those who are in danger. Even this video that popped up of Alicia, who is part of a uh, Ukrainian-based uh, radio station as she's having to leave her home. We're reminded of just the brokenness that's there in the world. We're in Slavyansk, leaving home. Um, it's 6.07. Here's my husband. This is my room. Um, our cats, our children. <laughs> Here we go. And so we want to pray for comfort for her and her, uh, her family and for all that she represents there of the Ukrainian people. And we want to pray for safety for those who, like her and her family, are seeking a new shelter 
And then we want to pray that God's love would be made real and that there would be hope and that peace itself would prevail. We're reminded when we look at scripture, there's many times where it becomes real for us, right? Uh, David says in Psalms 20 verse 1, In times of trouble, may the Lord answer your cry. May the name of the God of Jacob keep you safe from all harm. Or in Psalm 57, he says, Have mercy on me, O God, have mercy. I look to you for protection. I will hide beneath the shadow of your wings until the danger passes by. Or finally, uh, Psalm 9, verse 9, The Lord is a shelter for the oppressed. He is a refuge in times of trouble. And we want to pray for our friends that are there on the ground that are trying to communicate the needs to the people of staying safe and what the future may hold. And so we want to pray specifically for these individuals that are broadcasting. And at the same time, they're having to evacuate their families as they begin to offer insight into what's taking place there in the Ukraine. And so I've got a link here in the worship notes to FEBC Eurasia that may help you better understand and I'd encourage you to follow along. Or even this message from Pastor Sergei. Dear brothers and sisters, greetings to you from Kiev, Ukraine. This morning I woke up because I heard explosions. So situation is quite serious, quite dangerous. And people are afraid and concerned. People in churches are afraid and concerned. At the same time, I really appreciate you for all of your support and for all of your prayers. Please keep calm and continue boldly and wisely pray to our Lord. Please pray for our people. Please pray for our families and churches. Please pray for all of our pastors, all of our missionaries, all of our radio hosts who share good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because in these dangerous times, this is what our people really, really need. And this is our priority. So we really need your prayers, your support, in order to be with our people and to show them hope that they could find only in our Lord Jesus Christ. Because he is the only one who could give real peace. Please keep calm and pray for our churches, for our families, for our ministers, for our ministry, for our radio host. And may God richly, abundantly bless FBC Ukraine, uh, February 25, Kiev, Ukraine, war zone. This is what we could see in second day of war between Russia and Ukraine. This is just ordinary apartment house with uh, ordinary people, Ukrainians, with children, with elderly people, with just peaceful citizens of our city and our country. Just see and tell to your people to brothers and sisters in churches and please pray for us because people are very very afraid sergey nakul fbc ukraine
in this message from Sergey, who is a pastor and he's also the host of a Bible program on FEBC Ukraine. Uh, it's the most influential Christian radio station uh, in the Russian-speaking world, and we, they broadcast both in Russia and in the Ukraine, where they get an opportunity to influence people's lives through what the hope of the gospel can be, especially in times like that. So let's take a moment and just pray. Father, as we begin our day here in safety and peace, we're mindful of just all the uh, the upheaval that's taking place in this land uh, so far away. But we just pray that you would be with those people there, that you would encourage them in ways that are fresh and new. And at the same time, God, we want to pray for uh, the, the leaders of the world, uh, for President Putin and for President Biden and for other, uh, others as they lean into bringing about peace. Uh, we know that war is the result of our own brokenness, and so we just pray through all this that you would be made known and be present and that uh, through your Holy Spirit, brokenness can be set aside. But we just pray it together in the strong name of Jesus. Amen. Why? It's a simple question with no simple answers. Why now? Why this? Why me? Is God even here? Is he listening? How can we know? We've made it through dark times before, and I want to have faith, but I still wonder, why? We're in a series called Ever Wonder Why, where we're looking at some of the big questions that uh, people have, especially in, I think, our times right now. Last week, we looked at what do you do with a good God and, and the problem of evil, and how do you resolve those things? Uh, this week, we're going to lean into looking at a, a subject that, well, uh, there's an unwritten rule in churches. There's some things you shouldn't talk about, especially if you want people to be happy and be connected to what you're trying to do. And so you shouldn't talk about politics, and you shouldn't talk about money, and you shouldn't talk about hell. Well, we're, we'll set aside politics and money for another time. But this morning, we're going to talk about this idea of hell. Uh, when I was growing up, I can remember when uh, calculators first came out, uh, you could actually spell out, did you ever do this, uh, 7734. You could type it in and turn it upside down, and I can remember my friends snickering about that. It's like, look at this word, right? Or even growing up uh, before calculators, I can be reminded that uh, we didn't want to say that word, and that we would say, instead of saying the word hell, we would say H-E double hockey sticks. And, and so it's a word that even in our culture that's, that's thrown around, uh, I'm sure you've heard somebody say, uh, go to hell, right? Or, or this idea that uh, maybe that the world's going to hell in a handbasket, especially with all the craziness that we've been through. Or in, if you've ever been cut off uh, by somebody where they sort of throw up their hands like, you know, what the heck? Uh, so the idea, too, even as a kid, I struggled with, this idea of hell. It's a place I, I had fear of, and it's a place I didn't want to go. And, and so I just wanted to make sure that that didn't happen to me. Uh, and yet, uh, we all need to have a deeper understanding of what hell is. And Scripture is very clear about it. And so I want us to look at that together uh, today by looking at this big question, why would a loving God send people to hell? I mean, God is love, right? And you can hear people say, well, if you don't know Jesus, you're going to burn forever. 
Uh, it's going to go to a place where the worm never dies, and man alive, that doesn't sound very loving at all. And then Satan, if he could, would help us uh, be even more confused by asking the question, you know, is, is hell really what real? By asking the question, is hell real? Because you see, the devil has one singular focus, and it's this, is to, to convince you not to take uh, this idea seriously. Uh, and uh, you can just live your life however you want, that you can uh, justify the sin, that you can reject who Jesus is, that you can not have to fear God, that you could live, like many people do, a ridiculously self-centered life where it's all about what you want and the comfort that you desire, and that you reject any kind of sacrifice. And at the same time, you want to avoid persecution, and you just love what this world has to offer. But what's interesting about this idea of hell, that it's a subject that we find in the scriptures. And it's interesting that the person who talked about it the most was Jesus. And there's sort of a paradox in that because he talked about this place called hell. At the same time, he was the most loving person that you could possibly meet. And he didn't do it like an angry street preacher. The reality was that Jesus didn't want people to go to hell, and so that's why he talked about it. In fact, he uses an interesting understanding here in Matthew chapter 5. He says, if your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. It's better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. That's verse 29 of chapter 5. And so it's interesting when we translate this word here, hell, in Matthew 5, that it comes from the Greek word Gehenna. Now, Gehenna is a literal place, and it was located in the southwest corner of the city of Jerusalem, and it was known as the Valley of Ben-Hinnom. Now, this area, uh, particularly in the southwest section of Jerusalem, that hundreds of years before, there was an evil king by the name of uh, King Ahaz, and Ahaz had set up a false god by the name of Moloch, and he did these detestable things, probably one of the most horrible things a person could do, where they offered up their children as sacrifices to this god. In fact, Jeremiah says here in chapter 7, verse 31, they have built the high places of Topheth in the valley of Ben-Hinnom to burn their sons and daughters in the fire. Now, what you need to know that if you go to that area, that area, there you'll notice right away, there aren't any homes and there aren't any businesses in that valley. It is just a, a desolation because people believed that that valley, that area specifically, that it was cursed and that it was cut off from God. And because of that, uh, over the years, that area, that valley became basically the town dump, a really nasty place. It's where dead animals were thrown. It's where human waste was put. It's where lots of sewage ended up. In fact, even the bodies of executed criminals were thrown there. And you can only imagine the horrendous smell. And then there was a fire that never seemed to burn out. And in fact, some called it that it was the land of no more. The land of no more beauty, no more laughing, no more peace, no more friendships, no more joy or hope or even chances. So when Jesus talked about hell, he wasn't talking about some dungeon in the basement of the, of the, the, the castle, some kind of torture chamber. It was even much worse than that. It was a place that was cut off 
from everything good and beautiful and right. Most basically, it was cut off from God's presence. So what is, what is heaven? Well, you know, heaven is basically being in God's presence. And so hell is the absence of God. The question then is, why hell? Well, hell exists for God to righteously punish Satan. And who's Satan? Well, he's not some harmless dude in a red suit that has a pitchfork and has horns. He is literally the embodiment of all evil. He is that which is behind every addiction that exists. He's that which is behind the abuse that is happening in our world. He's that which is behind the fear and behind the pain and the shame that's in our lives. And so we know when we talk about Satan, we talk about him being the destroyer, about being the deceiver, about being a dark angel. And then we also talk about how he accuses God's faithful. We also know him to be the tempter and, and the wicked one and the thief or, or the father of lies. And we know that he came, uh, according to Jesus in John chapter 10, verse 10, where he came to steal our joy and to kill our faith and to destroy our health and to ruin our financial circumstances and to just to blow up our marriages and then to affect the lives of our kids. And in fact, we looked at this a few weeks ago when we were studying the book of Revelation. What does it say here? And the devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of burning sulfur where the beast and the false prophet had been thrown. They will be tormented day and night forever and forever. Now, it's interesting when we look at this, there is so much challenge in our, especially in our culture today, when it comes to this idea of understanding who we are as sinful people. In fact, for most people, it's like we would just prefer that God would just look the other way and just allow us to lean into these things of life that we desire, that maybe God would give just a wink and say, well, that's okay, don't worry about it. It's no big deal. Just do whatever you need to do. But you see, the reality is when we look at the character of God and we study about who he is and what he is, uh, what he is all about, we understand this much is that it's impossible for God to be holy without being just. It's just who he is. That if he is holy, then he has to be just in his understanding, which means sin has to be dealt with. And so hell exists for God to righteously punish Satan. And then hell also exists for God to righteously punish the evil in our world. Now, here in 2 Thessalonians, Paul says, he, talking about God, will punish those who do not know God and do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. They will be punished with everlasting destruction and they will be shut out from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might. See, the reality is if we don't accept the reality of hell as being real, then I'm not sure we can truly appreciate all that God did for us through his grace, how deep his love is for us. And so it's interesting here that Jesus himself tells a parable about a voice from hell. It comes to us out of the book of Luke, and Luke begins here uh, with this in chapter 16. There was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen and lived in luxury every day. Now, what do we know about this? Well, the fact that he mentions purple, it's, that's a mark of royalty. And we know that this guy had a standing in the community that was pretty, pretty high up in the political order. 
because anything that was purple in that day, it was an expensive piece of, of fabric to own because linen itself of that shape and size could probably feed a person for a year. And then Jesus goes on to say here in Luke, verse 20, at his gate was laid a beggar named Lazarus who was covered with sores and longing to eat what fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs came and licked his sores. You see, the rich was so wealthy, uh, he would wash his hands actually with bread and he would throw the crumbs out. And that's what Lazarus was living on. And then he goes on to say here in verse 22, the time came when the beggar died and the angels carried him to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. And then in Hades, where he, the rich man, was in torment, he looked up and saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. And so he called him, Father Abraham, have pity on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in the water and cool my tongue because I am in agony in this fire. It's interesting here, this word Hades, literally means the place of the dead or it's a place of punishment. Now what's interesting here is it gets a little bit emotional because what does he say? He says, then I beg you, Father, send Lazarus to my family, for I have five brothers, and let him warn them so that they will not also come to this place of torment. So I want to offer four simple thoughts here uh, from life on the other side, from life in hell. And so first here, this rich man that we've just read about, he was fully conscious and aware, according to the parable. He had his memory, and it's clear that he was hurting And at the same time, he had massive regret. And then also, secondly here, the rich man's eternity was irrevocably fixed. He wasn't coming back. And at the same time, it's interesting, too, that the rich man knew that his suffering was just, or this idea it was simply fair. I mean, he complained about the pain, but he never complained about the fact that where he was, about the injustice, possibly, of him going to hell. And he knew also what would happen to his brothers if they didn't trust Jesus. And so what does he do? His fourth thing here is that he, the rich man begged and pleaded for someone to help his brothers know Jesus. So again, the devil wants to convince us that hell isn't real. And he wants to convince us not to take it seriously. Satan wants us to live however we want. He wants us to simply justify our sin and our sinful actions. He wants us to reject Jesus, and he wants us not to have any fear of God. And then he wants us to be ridiculously self-centered, where all we want to do is crave comfort, where we reject this idea of sacrifice, and where we want to avoid persecution, and we just end up loving this world in which we live. Now, some people may say it's not fair that good people go to hell. Well, I want us to see and be reminded that there are no people who are good. That the only goodness that any of us have is comes out of a relationship with Jesus Christ. Because Paul reminds us in Romans chapter 3, verse 23, that we have all sinned and we fall short of the glory of God. There are all these things in different ways that all of us have pushed into. The thing that we all share together as human beings is that we're going to die that that's the penalty for sin, is death. And so this idea, when we understand that if God is holy, he has to be just. And because he is just, he has to punish sin. 
And it's not just just, it's that God is love. In, in other words, it's, it's that he has to be this way for his love to be accomplished. Again, the Apostle Paul says to us in Romans, but God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. And since we have been made right in God's sight by the blood of Christ, he will certainly save us from God's condemnation. Verses 8 and 9 of chapter 5. See, it all comes down to this. The answer is always Jesus, right? That Jesus' death on the cross was where he paid the penalty for our sins. And it's where he satisfied God's justice where he demonstrates to us in a most amazing way his amazing grace and his unquenchable love for his people. And to be reminded, too, that Jesus says that he didn't come for the righteous, but he came for those that were far from God, for the sinners. He came for you, and he came for me. The writer of Second Peter says to us, The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness, Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. That's 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9. So the reality is, it's not a loving God who, who sends us to hell. It, the truth is, he wants to save us from hell. And it's because of evil in the world. It's because of Satan and the life that he wants to kill and to crush and destroy that Jesus comes, he says, in John chapter 10, verse 10, to give us life and life to the full. And so all of this to say is that you want to know Jesus, and you want to know him not just to avoid going to hell, but more importantly because of the eternal life that he offers you, because of his goodness and because of his grace and because of his love. It's all those things that he gives us life through. And so let's pray. Father, we're grateful for this truth. We're grateful for your grace and your mercy that rescues us. We're grateful that even though we deserve hell, is that you have made a way. And Jesus, we're grateful for that sacrifice. And it's by your stripes we are healed. It's by your blood that we are given life. And so Holy Spirit, seal that into each of us today. And we just pray it in your strong name. Amen.